Welcome to Crazy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. And I'm Laura, and that's Spectre in the yep, background. Yep. That's, that's Spectre. He's, yeah. he's my, my deaf cat. He might yeah. be a commentator on this today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. If he's got he's, something to say, he's got to say it, you know? Right. So, is there anything exciting we want to talk about? No. Not yeah. particularly. Prince Philip died. Yeah. That made me sad. He was like my dad million. Old. Yeah, he was a million years old, but so. a part of me actually thought he would live forever, like I was telling you the other day. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, even though he was 99, well, I thought for sure, like, as stubborn as he was, he'd be bound to want to make it to 100. Yeah, an even hundred. Well, plus, if you, over in the UK, if you make it to a hundred, the Queen sends you, like, a telegram or a birthday card or something, which everybody was like, oh, he could get a telegram from his wife. How cool. (laughs) That would be so cute. Yeah, that'd be adorable. That would be adorable, actually. Spectre thinks so, too. Yeah, exactly. He agrees. I'll, I'll try to translate for him okay. as it's going along. He, he's kind of angry now. Oh, really? <laughs> he's attacking me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, we're good. We're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's, uh, he's attacking his own back legs now. I so. mean, you know. We know those are love bites. He's is what those best, are. His best life. Yeah. He is. <laughs> They're all love bites. So, what you got for me? my topic this week is Ghosts of Old Louisville, Part Zwei, or Duh, or Two. Yeah, see? Spectre yeah. agrees. <laughs> Spectre says, yes, please. More Old Louisville. I am down for this. Spectre says, more Old Louisville in my life. So I enjoy Old Louisville. Now he's happy again. Oh, good. So... Cool. Well, the first place I want to talk about is the J.B. Speed Art Museum on the University of Louisville campus. Okay. So, the Speed Museum was founded in 1925 by Hattie Bishop Speed as a memorial to her late husband, James Breckenridge Speed. Okay. He had been born in Missouri in 1844. And he came to Louisville as an 11-year-old orphan. But fortunately for him, he was related to one of the most powerful families in the city, so he was fine. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about him. Uh, he was raised there by his aunt, Lucy Fry Speed, and uh, one of his uncles was Joshua Fry Speed, who was a great friend of Abraham Lincoln in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, Lincoln sublet the apartment above the general store in which Speed was a partner. You know, I was wondering when good old Abe Lincoln was going to get mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think this might be... This might be it. Well, this isn't. Is this it? No. Well, no. The first time we mentioned him. But... Joshua Fry Speed's grandfather was Joshua Fry, mm-hmm. and that was the guy that 
uh, Cassius Clay went to his school. Okay. Yeah. Near the Dix River, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah, that was him. him. <laughs> that was him. Yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> and another uncle was a guy named James Speed, who in 1864 had been appointed U.S. Attorney General under Lincoln. Okay. Uh, and their family home was called Farmington. It's a historic federal-style house which was once the center of a hemp plantation and which was possibly based on designs by Thomas Jefferson oh. and is now a historic site that people can go visit. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, field trip. Yeah. I mean, oh, God, we got so many field trips coming at some point. Once we can travel again. Yeah, really. So, James Breckenridge Speed, he established several major companies in the Louisville area, such as the Louisville Railway Company, the Louisville Cement Company, yeah, Cement Company, he knew Cement, and the Ohio Valley Telephone Company. Oh. He also donated a statue of Abraham Lincoln to the state, and it's currently standing in the state capitol building. And oh, he, cool. Yeah. And he also established several schools. Oh. Yeah. So after he passed away, a charitable, charitable foundation was set up in his name by his wife and children. And in addition to the Speed Museum, a school of engineering was set up in his name at the University of Louisville. But back to the museum. The museum itself opened on January 15, 1927. It houses over 12,000 pieces and the collection contains items from over 6,000 years of history. And it also houses at least two ghosts. So one of the ghosts is thought to be that of Hattie Speed, who is James's wife. Okay. She was Mr. Speed's second wife. And oh. yeah, and some people think that he never truly got over the death of his first wife who bore him his two children. Okay. So the most frequent sign of her presence is the smell of a particular rose scented perfume. And it's often smelled in gallery number three, which is full of pictures of 19th century art that James and Hattie Speed collected when they were on trips to Europe. Okay, so it was her, it would be her own art right. that she's looking at. Yeah. That's and it cool. would have like, and it would have like really good memories of their trips and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So, one night, and this is in the time before they actually had security guards working on the premises at night. An alarm okay. went off, and the security company had to send out a guard and a guard dog to the museum. Okay. So, they weren't there. They had to go there. So, the, the right. two entered gallery number two. And whereupon the dog saw something in one of the ceiling corners and freaked out. It ran away from its handler and it ran into another area of the museum 
and when they found it it was crouched down trembling and then they had like coax it and coax it and coax it to get it to leave and go outside oh yeah so whatever it saw in the corner it was like not having it oh poor baby yeah yeah um on another occasion a security guard fell asleep in the Native American gallery, which is downstairs in the basement. And he woke up to see a woman in a white dress standing over him, who then vanished. Oh. Also, one night, two security guards were walking around the lower level of the museum. Uh, the elevator doors in front of them suddenly opened to reveal an old lady in a white dress looking at them who vanished in front of them. Ah. In which case, I request a transfer. But anyway. Yes. Guards often catch sight of something white moving mistily through the museum at night. Um, mm. Yeah. Elevators will work when no one is near them. Uh, the freight elevator in the rear of the building has doors that will sometimes open and close. And then the car travels between the floors. And it only happens at night. So they've had professionals come in and the professionals claim that the elevator has an, has hydraulic issues and it sometimes needs to adjust the pressure. Uh, but as the author pointed out, this still only happens at night. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Now, it could be that it gets more use in the day so it, you know, gets to adjust itself more then, but still... So yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna point that I'm gonna put that in the possibly debunked column. Correct. Okay. So in 2001, one of the portrait labels in Gallery Four, which is the Kentucky Room, kept peeling off, and employees would apply more glue and then reapply the label. But no matter how many times glue was applied, the label wouldn't stay on the wall, no matter what they did. <laughs> Finally, like an art project yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eileen. Finally, it was yeah. Ugh. You know, Eileen has almost fallen forward. Like she, she's barely standing up now. I mean, oh, poor Eileen. Yeah. Yeah, we have a mannequin at Hustler that's like her. She leans, so her name's Eileen. I mean, we're clever, if nothing else. Um. Anyway, so it was replaced with a different label, and it's since it has stuck. And the portrait that the label was describing was that of Cora Speed, who was Mr. Speed's first wife. Oh! Yeah. So once that label was fixed, there was another label on the wall that started peeling off, and that label belonged to the portrait of a local gypsy girl. And James Speed would often talk about how beautiful he thought she was. Okay. Yeah, so they think that it's two people that Mrs. The, the second Mrs. Speed might have had a little jealousy of. Yeah. So. Alright. So That's one, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, one evening, an employee was working late in the Kentucky room, and she was getting ready for an event the next day. As she walked by Cora Speed's portrait, she noticed that it was uh, tilted, so she straightened it out. Then she went back, she went about her job. 
Um, finally, she was ready to leave and go home, but she noticed the portrait again. But this time, it was not only off its hanger, on the floor, leaning against the wall, and facing the wall. Like, oh. she never heard anything. Oh. And so, she just left. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah. I'm not fixing this one. Someone else can. Yeah. yeah. She's like, that's not my problem. That's not my problem anymore. Yeah. Nope. Um, did she quit that day, too? No, but it's coming. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, a few weeks later, the same employee was in the Kentucky room again, and she was cataloging the pictures in it. And once again, it was after the museum was closed and she was alone in the room. Like, this is, uh, this is a pattern of behavior with her. So, so being yeah. alone in the art museum. Yeah, really. In the creepy haunted room. Yeah. So, she was a bit nervous since she'd had that previous experience. So, she was constantly kind of checking on the portrait of Cora out of the corner of her eye. Making sure it wasn't yeah. throwing itself off the wall. Exactly. <laughs> So, at one point, she, like, sees the picture of Cora, and it's fine. She turned to the wall opposite it, and she saw a white strip of fog halfway between the floor and ceiling. It, oh. it moved into a corner and gave off a shimmering, glowing, yellowish light. It never formed into the shape of a person, but constantly morphed into a longer and then shorter cloud. Oh. Thicker in the center and thinner in the edges and eventually oh. evaporated on her. Uh-uh. Yeah. And uh -uh. she, uh, she once again, vamoosed, as you would. Yes. It, did she quit in this time? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Three days <She> later. <laughs> <laughs> Three days later, <laughs> that same employee had yet another experience, yet again in the Kentucky room, yet again. They seem to like her, though, yeah. at least. They're willing to yeah. show themselves to her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once again, she was alone in the air. She was getting ready for another event. She felt someone, no worries, she felt someone or something brush past her. The room got very cold and she smelled rose perfume. Suddenly she realized that the file, uh, the event file that she had been holding was missing. She looked all over for it and she finally found it an hour later in the Native American gallery. And when she found it, she smelled that same rose perfume that she'd smelled before. Oh. And... She got a job at another museum about a month later. There we go. There <laughs> yeah, we go. finally. <laughs> finally. So, most of the time, whenever anything odd happens in the museum, most people who work there just shrug and say, must be Miss Hattie. However, there's, there also seems to be a more malevolent spirit in the museum, which also seems to have an attachment to the Native American gallery. Oh! In 1999, and they think that this might actually be attached to one of the objects in the gallery. That's cool. Yeah. In 1999, a psychic from California was visiting family in Louisville, and he took a tour of the museum. 
So he separated from his group and he decided he was going to walk downstairs to look at the Native American collections. He was on the stairs and suddenly he saw a man standing on the bottom step. Uh, the psychic noticed the angry look on the spirit's face before the spirit totally vanished. And he said that the spirit looked like a Native American with darker skin, very dark long hair, and a narrow band around his head. He was wearing a plain beige tunic that went down to his knees and a pair of dark pants. Uh, the psychic went into the Native American gallery and he felt a very strong negative presence. He left and never went back. Finally, somebody with some sense. Oh my. Yeah. So, uh, and my last story is two ladies also claimed to see a similar spirit in 2002. They went to lunch at the museum cafe and uh, they had a few extra moments before they had to go back to work. Uh, they worked at UofL, so they decided to go downstairs and visit the Native American gallery. So they looked around there for a few moments, and then they decided to head back upstairs. Uh, as they were walking toward the stairs, they saw what they thought was a statue in the corner. So they thought it was part of the exhibit, and they approached it to get a good look at it, only to realize that it was an actual person or something resembling an actual person. They described it, I mean, the way they described it was exactly the way the California psychic did. Uh, and just as with the psychic, it vanished before their eyes. And as with most of the people, they have yet to return to the museum. And so that's the, some stories from the Speed Museum. Ooh, but, yeah, but cool. Miss Hattie does not just haunt the Speed Museum. Oh, so I also dun, have some, dun, dun. Duh, yeah. I also have some stories from the JB Speed House. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this is at 505 West Ormsby Avenue in Louisville. It got its start in 1885 when it originally housed Dexter Belknap and his family. Belknap was a contractor who had worked on many of the grand old Louisville mansions, which goes to show you if you're a contractor, you'll never be poor, probably. Um, it, yeah, it became the center of Louisville society in 1893 when it became the home of J.B. and Hattie Speed. Uh, and after J.B. died in 1912, Hattie had a very large music room built onto the back of the house. She had been a concert pianist and absolutely loved music. Um, not only did she herself spend hours in the room playing the piano, but she often had concerts in the room. Um, in fact, the old piano, which is Miss Hattie Speed's original piano, is still heard today. Part of that, yeah, part of that is because the piano was converted into a player piano when it was bought by a law firm. And then that became their offices. Okay. However, that doesn't explain every time it plays, nor does it explain the music that is heard coming from other areas of the house or from instruments that are not pianos. Oh, yeah, no. The wife of one of the law partners described it as, quote, music from the 1920s coming from somewhere between the floors, unquote. 
and multiple people have heard this music, including the law partners themselves. That's weird. Yeah. And most of the, it's like your music in your house. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. And most of the unexplained events at the Speed Mansion involve some kind of auditory phenomena. But a few people have had visual encounters with what they believe is the ghost of Miss Hattie Speed. Uh, one lifelong area resident was familiar with Miss Hattie. She had seen an old photo of the lady herself taken while Miss Hattie was sitting at the piano wearing some of her finest, you know, fanciest clothes. Yeah. Um, one day she went back to the lounge area, which was part of the music room, and she saw someone sitting at the piano who looked exactly like that picture. Oh, whoa. Yeah, and the witness claimed that the the vision that she had flickered and it had an eerie iridescent quality to it which that's the way they see her at the that lady saw her at the museum was had that sparkling shiny yeah glowing and after a moment or so the spirit rose from the piano and it walked well it didn't walk it floated down the hallway towards the front of the house when it and that's when it faded away uh, that's creepy. And then one of the law firm's clients bought his wife to the mansion one day. Uh, he was having a meeting with the law, with the lawyers, and she was there waiting for him. So she was pacing in the downstairs hallway when she felt the air around her become electrified. Um, she said she could feel the hairs on her neck stand up. So, she turned around and saw a mist forming under a doorway under the staircase. It coalesced into a female form wearing a long dress and moved down the hallway towards the music room. And as it got closer to her, the client's wife said that she could identify specific elements of what it was wearing such as she could see the string of pearls around the neck and she could see the first make out like the first stole that it had oh my. yeah and so the wife followed the figure into the music room when she got there the figure had vanished even though the form or whatever it was hadn't been that far ahead of her and then the wife heard music coming from like a distance but it definitely wasn't from that piano in the room. It was just coming from somewhere. She searched the house as far as she could, but couldn't find any signs of the origin of the music. And several people have reported seeing a similar apparition. And the law firm is no longer there. And the building is now the home of the Kentucky College of Art and Design. Ooh. So those are two Miss of Miss Hattie's, but now I'm going to do a totally different building altogether. Okay. And this is actually the first Church of Christ Scientist. Oh. Yeah. Um, this building is located at the corner of Third Street and Ormsby Avenue, so it's at basically the, you know real close to the heart of Old Louisville, and it's a okay. it's a beautiful neoclassical design with a long porch supported by huge ionic pillars and it's crowned by a beautiful dome. And this church is haunted by an apparition called the Lady of the Stairs. Oh. 
and it that was sounds so ominous. Yeah, it's well, it's sad. It's really Aww. sad. Yeah, and it was Aww. yeah, it was seen one night by an employee of the Filson Club, which is Kentucky's premier location for historical records, which is also in Old Louisville. At the time, the Filson Club parking lot was being repaired. So visitors and employees were having to park their cars somewhere else. So this particular employee had ended up parking right in front of the First Church of Christ Scientists. And as he got in his car, he kind of relaxed a little bit, turned on the radio, turned, you know, turned on the heat. Because he'd had a, a really long day. He'd had a 14-hour day. Ooh, yeah. yeah, that is a long day. Yeah. So he got in his car. He was relaxing. And he noticed something outside on the church stairs. So he rolled down his window to get a better look. And he saw a woman from what he clearly knew was another era. He said that she looked like a sort of a turn of the century. She had a turn of the century Gibson girl kind of look about her. She had a okay. yeah. She had a long sleeved blouse with a ruffled neck, a long dark skirt, a skirt with, and she had a very like narrow waist. Um, All right. Yeah, so. and dark high top button shoes. And the employee reported that the figure exuded melancholy, and he himself felt like he wanted to cry as he watched her walk down the church steps. And suddenly she, he had vanished. She just vanished. And he felt that as soon as she vanished, that really oppressive feeling vanished as well. Okay. That's weird. Yeah. So, the next day the employee uh, talked about the experience with another employee. And she was intrigued. She didn't, like, dismiss it out of hand. She had never seen anything at the church, but she herself believed that she had had experience at the Filson Club itself. And her own mother had told her that she'd seen the Lady of the Stairs as a child in the 1940s. Yeah, so, but unfortunately, um, she had passed away the lady's mother, so he couldn't ask her any more questions about it. Um, well, yeah, so, and none of the other employees had any ideas to offer him. So, he spent hours looking at documents, trying to connect the female figure he'd seen with some woman who was associated with the church, but he couldn't find anything to enlighten him. And eventually, like, other things came back up. He um, decided to um, keep, like, he would keep searching occasionally, but nothing ever came of it. Okay. So, but there was one day that he had to interview the daughter of a person who had worked with Jenny Benedict, who is a Louisville culinary legend who invented Benedictine spread among other things. Benedictine, Benedictine. Um, so, the lady he was going to interview lived in a huge old Louisville house, as had her family for many years. 
So this lady and this employee from the Filson Club, they got along very well. Um, he realized that not only had Jenny Benedict herself uh, lived near the first, her original house had been near the first Church of Christ Scientists, but the lady he was talking to, like, even though she was older, you know, she was very intelligent, she had a fantastic memory, and he was like, well, I'm just going to go for it. So, he asked her if she'd ever heard of the woman who haunts the steps of the church. And the lady, whose name was Elizabeth, responded, oh, you must mean the lady of the stairs. So, according to Elizabeth, she herself had been born... Oh, yeah. Here's a uh, another episode tie-in you're going to love. Let me just say. Yeah, you're going to love this. Um, according to Elizabeth, she herself had been born with a call over her face, which is traditionally the sign of someone who has second sight. Okay. And while while she was on an outing in the country in the 1930s, a stranger had told her she had gifts. And that stranger was Edgar Casey. Ah! He said that he was driving by a field of golden flowers and he saw a girl with a golden aura. So he told her she had a gift. Well, if Edgar Casey told me I had a gift, I might... Might pee myself. You never know. Yeah, I might, I might believe him. Oh, yeah, totally. I'd 100% believe him. So, Elizabeth not only had the ability to see auras, she had the ability to see the dead. Oh. So, a few months after having seen her nearly, newly deceased grandmother... She uh, was walking by the church. She said she was walking by the church with her dad when she was a child. And she'd seen a figure and wife pacing along the steps. The figure looked at the little Elizabeth, smiled, and then completely vanished. She saw the lady on multiple occasions as a child. And although she had kind of lost her gift of, like, seeing the dead, she believed that the spirit was still there at the time that she was being interviewed. Oh, my. So. That's creepy. Yeah. So the author also found a guy. And his name, as far as I can tell, is Ch Charlie Amorty. Okay. I-M-O-R-D-E. And his, okay. yeah, his family owned a grocery across from the church. And when he, he said when he got to be like a, like an older teenager, like 1920, um, his family had been like very, very strict Catholic and he kind of rebelled against that. So, um, he decided that he'd get, like, he'd attend some readings at the church to see, you know, how that affected him, how what he thought of it. Okay. So he he found himself spending, you know, several several evenings there as a young man. Now he had an uncle who worked in the grocery with like the family, 
And uncle constantly said he saw a ghost at the church and nobody in the family believed him. But one night, um, Charlie and another young man, they were standing on the front steps of the church they, and they were arguing about politics. Like you do. As you do. Uh, when a, oh, I got a story about that. Oh, boy. Oh, they, uh, were looking, you know how they go on Facebook and check out everybody who's applied at Hustler? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they were like, oh, God, he's got, like, right-wing nut job videos. Oh, God. And they were all like, oh, Emily's gonna kill him. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they were all like, yeah, we can't hire him. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, a no. He was a no. So one night they were arguing uh, about the politics on the front steps of the church when a see-through figure in white walked along the steps, threw them, and then vanished. And at that point, needless to say, the argument was over. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm done. Okay, I agree with you, whatever, bye. Okay, yep, whatever. Yeah. Yep, bye. Yeah. Charlie ran to his family store, and he saw his uncle, and when Charlie said what he'd seen, (laughs) the uncle demanded an apology. (laughs) (laughs) And then he and Charlie discussed, like, their sightings, and the uncle said that it usually happened um, at around 9.30 at night, which was what time that was, and that it involved a tragic love affair for a local young lady, but he didn't know much else about it. But the next day, uh, Charlie found someone who did know about it. And this was a man named Red, who used to work for the grocery. Okay. And he identified the ghost as the spirit of a girl named Miss G. And they called her Miss G because even though they didn't know her name, she was related to a some people called the Gathrites who lived nearby. Uh, Miss G had fallen in love with someone her family didn't approve of, a soldier. And uh, they had shipped her off to live with her relatives in Old Louisville uh, while the future husband who her parents had picked out finished his, um, his university work on, like, they just said the East Coast. Like Harvard, Yale, someplace like that. So you go live over here. Yeah. And as soon as, yeah, as soon as he's done, you guys are getting married whether you want to or not. Okay, fun. Yeah. So, unbeknownst to her family, the soldier she was in love with had been stationed at Camp Zachary Taylor nearby. So, yeah, so the couple was able to meet in secret. Aww. And the church was being built at around that time. And there were, like, several nooks and crannies, they said, that you could kind of, like, nestle in and no one could see you. Okay. So, the couple met secretly there for about a year. Um, And every time that they would meet, afterwards, this Miss G would come into the store where Red worked, and he would buy a Coke. Or, she would buy a Coke. And every night... They said that she was very, she was very calm, but she was very distant. Like, she would just say hi and bye. She wouldn't really interact with anybody. Until one night when she came in to buy her Coke, and she seemed very agitated. 
she, yeah, she seemed this way for a few nights, and then he hadn't seen her for a while. And then she came in and asked if anyone had been looking for her. And read her through the grapevine that she and the soldier had been planning to elope. Uh, she came in several days after that buying coke, buying a coke and waiting for her bow. Um, the next day he saw a girl who worked for the Gathrites uh, and asked her what the latest news was. The girl told him that both Miss G and the soldier had died days earlier of the influenza epidemic. Then oh, sweeping no. the country. And they had died neither they had died neither of them knew the other's fate. Oh no. Yeah. So that's, that's so Yeah, that's the sad tale of the ghost of the First Church of Christ scientist in Old Louisville. I know. This is this next story is not any happier, but it is Aww. the last one. So yeah. You saved the saddest for last. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the saddest. This oh, one's. Okay. Uh, the, I don't know. They're kind of neck and neck. I don't know. But this is the story of the ghost of Fountain Court, and Fountain Court is located between St. James Court and Fourth Street, and is considered part of the heart of Old Louisville. It's a place where couples often stroll on warm evenings, enjoying the romance of the, the Victorian era buildings. And it's also the home of the Widow Hogue, uh, who is a heartbroken ghost looking for her child. Oh. Yeah. The Widow Hogue lived in one of the houses on the court during the time when many of the houses were in disrepair and they were broken up into apartments. So, namely the 1930s and 40s. Um, Mrs. Hoke's son joined the Air Force uh, to fight in the Pacific Theater in World War II. Uh, sadly, he never returned, uh, but the, she remained in the apartment for the rest of her life, hoping that her son would come back to her since his body was never found. Oh, no. So she just she never had that closure. Yeah. So she just never moved. She was afraid to move because then he wouldn't be able to find her. So she, yeah, if she was afraid he was he would never be able to find her if if somehow he had survived. That's so sad. So a woman named Nora moved into an apartment on Fountain Court in the 1970s, and it happened to be in a house across from the house where Widow Hogue lived. So, Nora and her boyfriend were going to a movie downtown one night, and as they were walking towards the 4th Street gate, a weird shape came out of the shadows. It was an old woman dressed in black floating along the ground, and she was totally transparent. Nora watched as the figure approached her boyfriend, and then she walked through him and disappeared on the other side of the square. Uh, the boyfriend said, you know who that was, don't you? And Nora realized that it was the Widow Hogue who had thought that Nora's boyfriend might be her long-lost son. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's creepy, but it's really it's sad, sad at the same time. Yeah. And a family moved into the apartment where the widow actually lived and they ha ended up having several experiences with her 
Um, the teenage son of the family found himself alone in the house one day and he saw an old woman in black glide across the floor and vanish into a wall. Uh, he ran outside and waited there until his parents returned. His mother didn't really believe him until she was told by neighbors that their apartment was actually where the widow Hogue had lived. Um, the son saw the ghost several times after that, and he grew to sympathize with the broken-hearted spirit. And there's like the one lady who was a psychic that they asked about it was like, well, hopefully someday the son will find her and come get her. Oh, at no. some point but so hopefully that's what's going to happen one day and that's my uh, old Louisville part du. oh that was good part, that was good that part. was sad but it was good it was sad it was mostly those sad some, <laughs> those were some sad stories yeah yeah <sighs> well that's yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Thanks. <sighs> I'm working on Waverly. I have to get a new pair of headphones. The puppy got a hold of mine. Oh, no. And, yeah. So. Yeah. I'm not surprised, though. Headphones are delicious, as we know. They, they are. Yeah. They're I mean... Just you can't beat them. You can't. I mean, <laughs> you can't beat them. They're delicious. I mean, not really nutritious, but delicious. I'm, yeah. Well, we might have, and we might have a special guest. Yeah, that would be really yeah. cool if, yeah. if we could figure out logistics of it all. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would. Well, if, like, if we can go see him, like, if I can go see him next week, then we'll just, like, talk, talk on the speaker, both of us. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm We're sure gonna... the three of us can fill a whole episode about Waverly. Oh, trust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without even I don't having think to talk about the TV shows. Oh, yeah, but. That... But we can do a part two. That'll be the part two. Oh about yeah, the TV I have shows. a lot. I have a lot to say about one of them in particular, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we should do that. Yeah, that'd be a good, uh, a good plan. Yeah, he might even be still in town, like in a couple of weeks. So that'd be nice. That would be nice. Yeah, but anyway, that's today's episode. That was good. Thanks. Uh, well, oh, we have Twitter. We do, and a, and an Instagram. And an Instagram. I think. Oh, Prince, find some. I'm not gonna lie to you. I think Prince Phillips made me depressed. Oh I just no. don't feel. I just don't feel like my usual spunkiness. That and the fact that I I miss seeing you, so yeah. I miss seeing you, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But we'll anyway, to try to do something soon. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. 
Anyway, Instagram anyway. and Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Creepy oh, Kentucky. Creepy Kentucky. Yeah. I really need to get better about using those. Yeah. But. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know either. Yeah. We also have an email. Oh, we do have an email. We have it's, that. It's actually, yeah. it's creepy Kentucky at Gmail. Yeah. Write us. Write us. We're lonely people. We're we lonely and one of us is depressed because someone she never knew died at, at a million years old. <laughs> Come on, people. Write us. Well, that's why I texted you as soon as I saw it. I know. Awesome. Oh, no, no, I gotta check on Laura. <laughs> did she? Did she? Did she <laughs> kill herself in in sympathy? No, no, I didn't. The two people that were in the room looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, my friend loves the royal family. I gotta check on her. Make sure she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she could be dead. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how she felt about Prince Philip. I really don't know. <laughs> oh. Anyway, oh, there's. There's Spectre. Oh, there's Spectre. Yeah. Spectre right. agreed. Okay, so until well, until next yeah. time. Kentucky. What, what the, the hell? hell? We gotta work on that. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs>